Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 123 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I have Cindy Burrell with me. Hello, Cindy. Hello, Natalie. (laughs) She actually did a podcast with me in way back when we first started this podcast um, in 2019. And um, the name of that podcast episode was, What Does the Bible Say About Divorce and Remarriage? And it was a really good one. So if you're interested in going back and listening to that one, you can do that by going to flyingfreenow.com forward slash nine. Just that's the name, that's the number of the episode. And by the way, that's how you can find any of the episodes by their number. So Cindy is a survivor of a 20-year marriage to a verbal and emotional abuser. And she's also the co-owner of a web-based ministry to women in abusive relationships called hurtbylove.com. And she's written several books, including Why Is He So Mean to Me? God is My Witness, Making a Case for Biblical Divorce, which is kind of what we talked about in the last, in that episode nine. Um, An Extraordinary, Ordinary Life, A Testimony of God's Faithfulness, and brand new, she has just published a book for counselors called Reformulating the Christian Marriage Counseling Model, Where Abuse is Involved. So that's what we're going to be talking about. And did I get that right? Is it written specifically for counselors or how would you, who's your audience in this, for this particular book? I'm glad you asked that because um, I think it's actually written for um, victims um, so that they can analyze both the counselor and the process and kind of identify whether the, the counselor, the counselor that they're working with is someone that is going to respect the process and the and see the victim and be able to work with her in a way that doesn't just squish her back into a toxic marriage. I love that. So it's really empowering victims to figure out if they're getting the kind of help that they actually need. For starters. And then I would all I'm hope really hoping and praying I've already been sending it out to some pastors. I'd love to get it into the hands of lay counselors and licensed counselors. And ultimately, um, I would love to get into the hands of people in Christian colleges and seminaries and yes. take a, a broader look at um, the whole process and why it so often fails. When there's right. Abuse. Right. Yeah. I think this is such a critical topic because I know hundreds of women, including myself, who have been deeply wounded by ill-informed and unequipped Christian counselors who don't understand emotional and spiritual abuse, and they don't handle those kinds of situations the way that they need to be handled in order to protect and empower victims. So I'm really excited that you're here to talk about it. So why don't you, why don't we dig in by, and and start off by talking about, um, tell us where you think Christian counseling has gone wrong. Ooh, that's a loaded question. Um, (laughs) It's almost universal. Um, I just had a, I just did a, a meetup online last week with Dale and Faith Ingram. I don't know if you know them. They did a book called Tear Down This Wall of Silence that um, relates to sexual abuse within the church and how it's covered up and hidden. Um, in, the, in the Christian marriage counseling world, 
the priority is always, always, always to save the marriage based on the notion that God hates divorce, which we've talked about. And in that, the abuser enters the arena with an advantage Mm -hmm. right off the bat. Because they both have the same agenda, right? Usually. (laughs) Isn't it kind of, it's a little bit backwards. It's a little bit unfair to go into this. Um, And so the whole process is, is directed in that, in that vein so automatically, the the victim will almost will almost universally be the um, the the one who is called upon to be patient and loving and caring and forgiving, while the attention is paid to the abuser and the 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 general sense from the outset is the man has issues, he has anger issues, he must have come. He must be struggling with some things. He has a background he needs to work through. And in the meantime, the victim is essentially set aside. Yep. She has no voice. And if, in fact, if anything, they try to squeeze her into this mold of, the, of you know, making it work. Being, right. the, being the godly, patient, loving, forgiving, kind, gentle, you know, uh, wife who's being abused, but that becomes a, almost a, not even a secondary issue. It's almost a non-issue a lot of times. Right. Well, and, oh, you know what, too? Here's the other fascinating thing about this, is that that woman is already programmed, possibly for decades, mm-hmm. to be that, to play that role anyways. So yes. when, so her own brain is telling her, just go back, play the role, just go back, play the role. And then when she's got people that she respects or, you know, in authority over her telling her the same thing, she just automatically goes and does it. It, She buys into that thinking because that's what she's already thinking in the first place. It completely sets her up for continued spinning around in the same circle. Yes. So it's abuse at the hands of her abuser. And then it's a secondary abuse kind of trauma to be unheard, unseen, um, your your experiences are not worthy of even acknowledging. Yeah. And as you know, the the confusion that overrides the abusive relationship, it just like you said, it just it just flows right over into counseling. Yep. It's debilitating. It really is. Yep. Yep. They're cutting her off at the knees. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what do you see as evidence to support this? Because I mean, I, there are probably Christian counselors who would get defensive about this and say, that's not true. That's not what we're trying to do. How would you counteract that argument? I have so many stories. I have heard so many people share their stories about what they've experienced in the counseling arena. And I share a lot of them, not a lot of them, but some of them in the book. Yeah. And um, I think the biggest, the biggest key is do they do focus on couples counseling or individual counseling? To me, that's a that's a yellow flag, if not a red flag. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you you have the count the the victim in the same room with the abuser and the counselor, the counselor has to choose whom they're going to advocate for. And they and so and like we said, so almost automatically she takes the back seat. It gives the abuser power that he yeah. should not possess. And again, it's not only does it silence her, but 
there's such a fear factor of even saying what needs to be said. There's no safety for a victim in sharing her genuine experience in the counseling office because as soon as she walks out the door, he's going to throw that right back in her face. That's right. That's and right. So it, becomes the, it becomes a sort of a, um, a very unsafe game. Yeah. That you're playing. Even if the counselor, because I can just hear what counselors would say. They'd say, no, we take a neutral stand. We don't take a side. But even that right there is problematic when you've got an abusive situation. Because then you're the counselor, because I was, I was, I sat in counseling sessions where I felt like the counselor was trying to be neutral, but in being neutral, they were not supporting me and what my husband had been doing to me for so many decades. They yes. were sort of mutualizing the problem and making it something that we both had to work on and, you know, equal guilt on all sides. And it was obviously that's not the case when you've got an abusive situation. Exactly. And I talk about that in the book and that generally the Christian counseling process requires the perception of fairness. Yeah. But the, but the scale is already completely out of whack. So how do you create fairness out of that? Right. They have to, they have to try to even out blame and responsibility, but it's not accurate. Right. So for the, to create the perception, you have to ignore the truth. Yeah, and you have to refuse to validate the abusers, the um, victims' reality. That's right. why it's like in my book and in, in my experience, I, it's essential that the victim be counseled separate from the abuser. That's the only way she's going to be heard. In fact, I um, a woman on one of the Facebook pages I, I follow, she said she does counseling and she had a husband and a wife in the room. And she posted the basic scenario that she was looking at and said, I'm not, I'm trying to figure out who I should believe. Oh my goodness. So she was asking people to vote. What in the world? On whom she should support because she was confused herself. And she felt like she had to judge them and pick a side. Wow which left someone out to dry. Yeah. And without That's more absolutely inf- crazy. Yeah. And so how do you, the only way to do that is to say, not only does it, does it give the, the victim a voice, but it shields her from the abuser's input and knowledge. And the reality is let's face it. An abuser with a counselor feels a little bit powerless because he doesn't have the audience he wants Mm -hmm. and he loses control over what she does say when she meets with someone who will actually hear her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the other component of all of this, because this is Christian counseling we're talking about, right? Not just secular counseling. And when you have Christian and a lot of Christians, Christian women, they think that if they're going to get counseling, they should get Christian counseling because that's superior and has a biblical worldview than secular counseling, which could, you know, which could be the slippery slope to hell. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but so they'll look for a Christian counselor. The only problem with that is that 
Christian counselors or even lay counselors in a church or even a pastor is going to use, because it's Christian counseling, they're going to use the Bible to um, promote their whatever agenda that they have. Yes. And, and their agenda could be problematic, like on a, on a, you know, there's a spectrum, I think, of how problematic their agenda could actually be. But they will typically use the Bible then to um, get the victim and the, the perpetrator to buy into their agenda. So what are some of those verses that are like typically used? Can you, can you think of any off the top of your head that are typically used to keep women stuck or keep them thinking, oh yeah, I really should get back in my place because the Bible says, God says. Oh, well, of course the, the ultimate trump card is God hates divorce. Yeah. And, and they pull that one right out of the, right out of the chute. They're going to hear that. That automatically puts the pressure on the victim to have to figure out a way to make it work. And of course, if you want to understand that, you got to go listen to the other podcast and see God's heart for marriage and divorce. You, they're going to hear, you know, love never fails, forgive 70 times seven, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Uh, love keeps no record of wrongs. Um, and, and on it goes. Yeah. But we have to see those from a true biblical perspective my favorite one is um the one that says love keeps no record of wrongs from first corinthians 13 that is not what that is a terrible interpretation it actually says in the literal translation it does love does not impute evil and what that means is that uh, love does not assign blame or attribute a for evil that does not exist. You do wow. not assign evil where it where it isn't really present. It doesn't mean you ignore evil when it is present. That, so that's what that's huge. That's when we hear. Yes. Well, it is. I remember I used to. I had finally started to write some things down because I thought I got to start recording this stuff because I couldn't remember. We'd have an incident. A lot of people, I've heard this from a lot of people too. We'd have an altercation and then my brain would literally, I wouldn't, three or four minutes later, I couldn't remember what the argument was about or what just happened. I was so numbed out and so stunned. And so, um, Anyway, I decided that I was going to start writing things down. So I would run up to my room and I would quick write down as many things as I could remember about what just happened. And then I would later on, like the next day after he was being nice again, you know, the cycle, I would tear it out because I would think, I don't want to look at this again. I don't want my kids to see it. And plus, I don't want to keep a record of wrongs. And this is like in my mind, that was like the quintessential keeping a record of wrongs, literally keeping a record of the wrongs he was doing. And yet in my program, and I'm sure you tell this to women too, in order to start recognizing the patterns of behavior that are happening in your relationship, you have to start writing things down so that you can track the patterns, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That was where my first book, Why Is He So Mean to Me, came from, was reading my journals. Okay. Back, yeah. I went back and started reading all the things that he'd been doing. And all of a sudden I could see all the strategies and the word games and the crazy making. And I went, Oh my gosh, this is, this is, it's like all right here. And so I wrote the book. I thought, Oh, I, I have to believe 
someone else is someone else out there somewhere <laughs> is dealing with the same insanity and it's like universal. Yes, it is. You know, the other one that Crazy. kills me is when they, when, you know, people say, well, I've been called to love my enemies. Yeah. On yeah. what planet should the, the person who swore to love, honor and cherish you be someone because an enemy is someone who's out to destroy us. Right. <laughs> that doesn't add up. But you hear right. that one all the time too. It makes right. It's like the, the burden of spiritual obligation is so thick. Right. Have, again, the priority is always to get back to what's to truth. Well, and the idea of love is people don't understand what love, love doesn't have to always look like. Love doesn't mean <laughs> be a doormat or be a, you know, be someone's sex toy or whatever. That doesn't, that's not what love is anyways. So, um, okay. So let's talk about the abuser for just a minute here because, um, I mean, I get asked this question a lot, like, can he change? And, uh, Obviously, a Christian counselor believes he can. They, you know, because God can do anything. You'll hear that. God can do miracles. God is more powerful than people are. Greater is he who, you know, they'll use all of that spiritual jargon to help to get the woman hooked into this wishful thinking that someday, even though it's already been 40 years for some of them, but someday he might still change. Uh, And so I'm just curious. Do you address this in your book as far as like, are our abusers out of reach? Can they change? And how does a Christian counselor approach that? Or what should a woman be thinking when she goes to counseling with her husband? Right. Anyone can change. When God comes into our life, it's like he says, the old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. We all know that from our own personal experience. The question is not, can he change? The question is, does he want to change? Because it does require a forfeiture of your will to, to, to God. And too right. often, and more often than not, the answer is a flat out no. Abusers like to figure out how to play the game to get you back into his life by any means possible. Empty promises. They'll, they'll lie, tell you how, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, that you're the only person he's ever loved. He promises it'll never happen again. Um, we just we can work this out. We just need to be get back together. And there's this undercurrent of pressure that comes. And honestly, the easiest way I tell people to see if an abuser has changed is to tell him no. Yes, perfect. It's the easiest way when they when they pour out all the stuff and they're following you around and telling you how wonderful you are and. Um, you, when you, when you just, you ignore them or you tell them, no, give them five minutes. Yeah. So I'm serious. Um, I had a a woman email me last week, uh, God bless her. And she, she said her, um, estranged spouse had been texting her. Oh, we really need to talk. And then he'd, he'd call her and leave her voicemails and say, you know, I just think if we could spend some time together talking and working through these things that, you know, we can do this. And she emailed me like the following day and said, he's been going behind my back talking, you know, gossiping about lying about me to my daughters. Mm-hmm. He's telling, he's told them that he's sure I'm in a, an illicit relationship on the side and all this stuff. It's like, 
Oh, there it is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's the man who, who's changed. Right. Right. I get that question a lot, actually. People will come in into the forum and they'll say, <clears throat> it, this happens at, almost every day. Someone says, oh, you know, they'll set a boundary and they'll say, oh, it's so bizarre. <laughs> he's, he's all of a sudden being really nice and he's bending over backwards to do things he never used to do before. And he's making promises and, <clears throat> and they'll say, is this normal? And I'm like, it's not only normal, it's, that's, what, that's to be expected. That's what they do. That's like part of the whole game for them. Yes. So look for that. If you're not, you know, look for that. As soon as you set a boundary, <clears throat> like you threaten to separate or even threaten to divorce, they're going to come back and they're going to try that tact first, mm-hmm. most of them, before they go to the, you know, the smear campaign and the whatever. But yeah, if you say no, then you are going to get smeared and they'll, then they'll try a different tact. But mm-hmm. And I tell them, you know, the reality is time always reveals truth. Yeah. You just have to. And that's the thing. We feel so pressured to get back in and and figure out a way to make it work. And it's coming from the, maybe coming from the counselor, maybe coming from church people who, like I said, will tell you, you just need to believe that God wants to heal your marriage, you know, have faith and be strong. And and, um, it's, it's a trap. Yeah. People don't realize it really is. They, they just lay it out there and they have the, the support of counselors and pastors. And so we step back in way too soon. The waiting time reveals truth and distance is another is the other thing is keeping that distance because they will try to penetrate that distance. That if you try to keep it, like you said, you set a boundary, they're, they're going to find a way to break it. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, right, right. You also kind of find out where the counselors and the pastors and all the religious leaders are stand, where they stand too. Cause if you say no to them, you're going to get the same kickback. Oh, so. that's the hard. And that's painful. Yeah. You think these people are going to support you and encourage you and, pray, and really take care of you. The odds are not good. No. Nope. I re- I do hear it once in a while. Someone will say, yeah, my church is really supportive of me, but it's very, very rare. Mm-hmm. So if you have someone, if you have a church like that, that's great. But most, most churches just don't by virtue of all of this religious programming that everyone has gone through, even in the seminaries. Like, I'm glad that we need to get more books like this into the hands of people coming out of those seminaries. Right. I mean, that's yes. where it starts. Yes. Okay. So um, by encouraging these dramatic changes in the counseling process, I mean, I, I wish so bad we could just wave a magic wand and it could all be fixed, but it's probably not going to be fixed in our lifetimes. I mean, a lot of the groundwork that we're laying and even working with victims and empowering them to change and stand up and have a voice, all of this is going to start, we're kind of sowing seeds right now, yes. but all of it is going to start bearing some great harvest down the road, probably after you and I are gone, are dead, right? But what I'm wondering is if the, these are huge changes that may not t- happen overnight, but do you ever wonder if you're diminishing, and people wonder, are we diminishing the sanctity of marriage in making some of these changes? I tell, my, my view is this. The sanctity of marriage is not based on your status, but on substance. 
Hmm. What is the substance of the marriage? Keeping two people in a toxic, ungodly marriage doesn't make it any less toxic or ungodly. And what are we teaching our kids? What are we showing them? Kids who come out of abusive homes generally become either abusers themselves or victims. It's up to us to start breaking that cycle and saying, no, this is God's sacred institution. It is designed to reflect the love relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. Yep. So I'm not encouraging, you know, willy nilly divorce. It's like, well, I just don't, that, that's a whole different animal. Right. We're talking right. about wicked people in God's holy sacred institution of marriage and, and trying to mesh that together and somehow pretend that that's a good thing. Right. Like I, you'll hear it a lot from the pulpit, you know, that the, the, the high divorce rate in the church is a shame. It's a, it's shameful that we have this statistic that makes the church look bad. And my, I come at that from a com- the complete opposite position and say, maybe the truth is that there are a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing that have been identified and people in the body of Christ are saying no more. Right. That's nothing to be ashamed of. If that's the truth, then the reality of of getting those wolves out of a, a home that should be the safest place on earth, then that's, then that needs to happen. Yep. And to, on, to honor God. Yes, to exactly. To that institution. I, I don't, you know, I've never told anybody, eh, I just got and get a divorce. Right. No, we're talking about saving, saving our children, literally yeah. saving yeah. lives. And it may not be physical, but you know, and I do, the depth of harm of emotional abuse. And to know that our kids are watching, they're seeing these, these exchanges, they're seeing the hostility and the emotional cruelty and that, and they live in a home where there's fear. Yeah. There's a constant tension and an undercurrent of fear and unpredictability. You never know what you're going to get on a given day. Yeah. Yeah. Does that sound like the heart of God? For yeah, no. our homes? Absolutely not. Mm-mm. No. And that, unfortunately, I mean, there, I know lots of kids actually who don't even want to have anything to do with the church anymore because the church appears to be supportive of those kinds of abusive relationships. Yes. And they don't, a lot of the younger people are, are finally standing up and saying, well, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Like, right. if, that's, if that's what the church is all about and if that's what God is all about, then that sounds pretty abusive to me and I'm not interested in being part of it. So if the church really wants to, make a difference in this world, they're going to have to set aside their abusive theology, I think. Correct. In fact, I did the, when you say that, I, a woman shared with me that her teenage son came to her um, and said, mom, why won't you divorce our dad? And she said, because I feel like God would be disappointed in me if I did. Hmm. And her son said to her, I don't think I want to believe in a God who would make us live this way. Boom. Yeah. And that was her wake up call. And she did end up divorcing her husband and sit rescuing her children. 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, where can people find you if they want to learn more about, well, they can find your book on Amazon, correct? The book is, I'll hold it up for people who are watching on YouTube. The book is called Reformulating the Christian Marriage Counseling Model Where Abuse is Involved. It's on Amazon by Cindy Burrell, B-U-R-R-E-L-L. Um, I will put links to in the show notes. So this is episode 123. So this will, you can find the the links and the show notes if you go to flyingfreenow.com forward slash 123. And I'll have a link to her website and to some other things that she has to offer. But do you want to just tell us quick what where could they find where can they find you besides your your um, website, which is hurtbylove.com? Um that's the best place to find me. And I also want to mention, <clears throat> if it's okay, that I also do personal coaching. I, yes. don't call it, I don't call it counseling because I'm not a licensed counselor, but it has been amazingly successful. Um, and, and not for me, but for the people who come to me. It's, I, it's just so um, beautiful to be able to just help I, people identify the truth about where they are wherever it is, and to be able to just come alongside them and comfort them and validate them and then watch them find their truth yes. and go back to God. And, and so um, I, I, I love that part of my job. And you don't use Bible verses to beat people over the head either, I bet. Oh, all the time. No. <laughs> I, so how do they not, find? Oh, go ahead. That's not God's heart, is it? That's no. Not. So how can they, how can they, um, get hooked up with you that way. What, where would they go? Well, there's a tab on my, on my website at hurt by love and uh, you can then contact me or email me and we can schedule a time. And I've had some women literally figure it out in one session. Wow. It's like just walking through it and they're like, I've got it. I get it. I'm, I'm good to go. I'm just like, wow. That's fabulous. Yes. That's so, fabulous. God's truth is everything. Truth is everything. Well, I just want to thank um, our listeners for listening to this episode of the Flying Free Podcast. And if you'd be willing to do our team a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review, we would so appreciate it. Those reviews play such an important role in helping other women of faith find this podcast and get the help that they also need to navigate their own destructive relationships. So, we just want to thank you in advance for supporting our podcast in that way. And don't forget that we do have over, well, we've got 123 episodes now to listen to, as well as a lot of articles on the flyingfreenow.com website. They're specifically written to encourage, support, and educate Christian women in emotionally and spiritually abusive relationships. So check those out if you haven't already. And thank you again, Cindy, for being on the podcast. It's Thank been a couple you. of years, but it's been exa- almost exactly two years. So wow. it's been a while, but it's great to have you back. And I'm excited about your new book. And I hope and pray that it makes a huge difference in the world. I hope it changes the world. I really do. Thank you. We're in this together, girlfriend. That's right. All of us, even the <laughs> listeners. I mean, people's lives us. are changing and we are making a difference. So it's very, very exciting. Yeah. yeah. All right, you guys, until next time, fly free.